You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, editor-at-large at The Diplomat. And for the first time on the Asian Geopolitics Podcast, I'm actually broadcasting from right outside Washington, D.C. So uh, I've made a little relocation recently. Um, this is the first podcast uh, that I'm doing from near Washington. And uh, today I'm delighted to be joined by a name that's probably familiar to many readers of The Diplomat and listeners of the podcast. Um, joining me today is Greg Poling, Senior Fellow for Southeast Asia and Director of the Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies here in Washington. Greg, thanks so much for joining me back on the show today. Hey, Ankit, thanks for having me back. And I think you're probably closer to Washington than I am these days. I'm riding out the pandemic in Baltimore. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I got to say relocating in the midst of a pandemic uh, was not the most fun. So I don't recommend it. But it is good to be uh, good to be near near DC. Uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, once things get back to normal, hopefully, uh, being able to see people in person again, especially. Um, but let's talk about what we're here to chat about today, Greg, which is the situation uh, currently unfolding at Union Banks uh, in the Spratly Islands in the South China Sea. Specifically, um, listeners and readers of The Diplomat may be aware of the large gathering, so to speak, of Chinese, quote, fishing vessels, maritime militia vessels, more accurately, at, at Whitson Reef uh, and, and the nearby area, um, just to kind of provide a little bit of geographic situational awareness if you're not familiar with the South China Sea. Uh, broadly speaking, uh, if you've looked at any maps that point out China's, or, or at least the Chinese-held facilities in the Spratly Islands, the seven facilities, uh, Whitson Reef, the area that we're talking about today, is roughly, and Greg can correct me if I'm wrong here, roughly between uh, Subi Reef, Fiery Cross Reef, and Mischief Reef, all of which are um, facilities that are held by China uh, and have been developed into large-scale um, military installations. Um, so, Greg, let's begin by just talking situational awareness uh, to just help our listeners kind of get a sense of what we'll be talking about on today's episode. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the significance of this area uh, and, and specifically what's been happening over the past few weeks and how long um, this area has really been under uh, under contention um, by by China's maritime militia. So there's been a Chinese uh, militia presence, you know, these fishing boats that don't actually seem to fish at Whitson Reef for over a year now. So Radio Free Asia uh, started documenting this uh, last March. They did a couple others over the course of the year. AMTI checked in and, and confirmed it over the course of last year. It was probably 30, 40 boats in that neighborhood for most of 2020. And then suddenly, uh, at the beginning of this year, it's 200, um, 150, 100, something in, in that neighborhood. It's not clear really why the numbers exploded. It is a little more clear why China wants to control this area in general. Union Banks, which Whitson Reef is part of, is one of the three, well, four major uh, big reefs that make up the Spratly Islands. So when we talk about islands and reefs, usually um, we're actually talking about kind of tiny pieces of these larger reefs. And on Union Banks, you have four Vietnamese military bases, two Chinese military bases, uh, which are Hughes and Johnson Reef, and then a number of underwater unoccupied pieces of the reef, this thing Whitson being the biggest one. So my read is that the Chinese militia is basically using it as a parking lot. It's their now preferred anchorage to keep an eye on this larger piece of real estate called the Union Banks. So in terms of comparing this to, you know, 
recent and and older sort of incidents in the South China Sea? Is this is this something you know that's kind of a category in itself, or is this you know can we compare this to similar activities that took place um, near uh, Laconia Shoals? Uh, is this sort of comparable to the Scarborough Shoal standoff back in 2012, uh, the 2014 standoff with Vietnam uh, when the um, big um, gas drilling apparatus was moved into Vietnam's exclusive economic zone? Is this is this something that has precedent in the South China Sea? The best um, parallel is probably what we've watched around Situ Island, or what the Philippines calls Pagasa, the biggest of the Philippine-held features. Um, since December of 2018, there's been a permanent Chinese militia presence around all of the underwater reefs that surround Situ. So Situ Island is part of bigger Situ Reef, and China clearly controls Situ Reef, even though it lets the Filipinos have control of the San K itself. And it does so with the deployment of dozens, sometimes more than 100 militia boats at any one time. That's been ongoing for two and a half years now. The, the numbers of forward deployed militia in the Spratleys seems to have stabilized at around 300 for the last three years or so, um, since China completed the infrastructure buildup on the artificial island. So when the, the big harbors and all of the supporting infrastructure were finished at Subi Reef and Mischief Reef in particular, we began to see in the neighborhood of 250 to 300 militia boats in the Spratly Islands on any given day. And uh, this is consistent with what the Filipinos just told us last week when they sent out patrols and reported that some of these boats had dispersed from Whitson, but there was still around 250 at all the different islands they monitored. And so, you know, in terms of timing, uh, you know, you said it's not clear to you why the numbers exploded when they did. Uh, if you had to sort of hypothesize about, you know, why we're seeing this, um, what explains the timing? Uh, you know, we can we can talk about, you know, various developments uh, internally in the Philippines in the context of the U.S.-Philippines alliance. But, um, you know, if you had to sort of hypothesize what's driving Chinese decision making at this time in early 2021, uh, what's your best guess? Well, strategically, it seems like China is pretty well set on this campaign of squeezing the Southeast Asian parties out of the South China Sea. And that has escalated over the last year plus amid uh, the coronavirus. Beijing has actually become more aggressive over the last year. The numbers of Coast Guard patrols are up. We would expect the number of militia uh, incidents to be up as well. Although that's a little harder to quantify given that these guys don't really broadcast their positions. And that's paired, of course, with a much more nationalistic rhetoric out of Beijing. So if the goal is to uh, shove the Southeast Asians out slowly but steadily by sheer weight of numbers, then moving these militia boats around to different parts of the South China Sea to establish de facto control makes sense. I think that China decided... Um, steadily over the last year that it was time to ramp up the presence at union banks geared probably toward the vietnamese um, the fact that the filipinos are the ones who raise the alarm is interesting but the philippines doesn't occupy union banks. right so uh, the vietnamese government has protested the recent um maritime militia presence uh, at whitson reef so tell us a little bit about about the vietnamese view of of what's happening right now hanoi's obviously been uh you know the most forward-leaning uh, of all the non-China, South China Sea claimants in recent years. How does uh, um, how is what is happening now being interpreted uh, in Vietnam? Vietnam has been hesitant to speak up too much on this. Um, of course, once the Filipinos started reporting on it, it hit the press, Hanoi had to say something. So you did have Hanoi issue an official uh, complaint. 
We have seen uh, at least one Vietnamese Coast Guard ship deployed to Union Banks alongside a Philippine Coast Guard ship. The Vietnamese, though, um, I mean, they've been aware of this for some time. We've been seeing Chinese militia boats and Chinese Coast Guard boats operating within a stone's throw of the four Vietnamese military outposts on Union Banks for several years now. Um, the numbers now are much higher, but if we go all the way back to a report that ANTI did in early 2019, we tracked this fleet uh, of ships, the Uetaiyu fleet, who spent their time mostly within, say, half a mile of each of these Vietnamese outposts. And Vietnam's response has usually been to quietly deploy its own Coast Guard or fisheries uh, enforcement vessels to kind of stare down um, the Chinese and and not talk too much about it in in public the vietnam tends to keep its powder dry for the big blow-ups over oil and gas exploration in particular right so you know i mean uh, before we get to talking a little bit about uh about the u.s response um based on based on you know the the trajectory of you know where things have been heading over the last few weeks i mean what's your prognosis for uh you know the month of april we're recording this on on april 2nd uh here in the u.s um what you know could this potentially become a long-standing thing uh does it does it take a different turn i know there's been some um reports and discussions of potential uh additions by china to um facilities in the area and um and features in the area specifically uh you know leading potentially to concerns about new um land reclamation activities um what's your sense of what's happening there i think this already is a kind of semi-permanent um standoff now between the Chinese on one side and, and some combination of Vietnamese and Filipino vessels on the other. So the Filipino uh, government, the, the National Task Force on the West Philippine Sea, now reports that most of the Chinese boats have left Whitson Reef, leaving maybe like 40 or 50 boats at Whitson Reef. Over 100 of them have moved a few miles away to another unoccupied reef called Cannon Reef, which is still just another part of Union Banks. And so you end up with this shell game um if it becomes too politically damaging or a pain in the neck then maybe you know chinese militia boats pull out of one specific reef that's become an object of fixation they move four or five you know miles away to some other reef it doesn't change the balance of power anymore the fact is that china still controls now the waters around union banks and there's a token vietnamese and filipino presence buzzing around complaining about it the real change, I think, is in tone from the Philippines. If what we are seeing with these two releases now over the last month from the National Task Force, which is part of the palace, so it's, it's under directly under the presidency, if this is the beginning of a new strategy of publicly documenting Chinese militia activity and you know naming and shaming and trying to impose diplomatic costs, that would be a significant change. Um, because the thing that's worked out best for Beijing over the last five years has been the quiescence of the Duterte government. That changing will fundamentally alter, I think, the discussion around the South China Sea. Right. So I think, I think you know, um, I mean, basically, you know, I, I was basically trying to get your view on, you know, whether this was the latest, you know, so-called fait accompli by China uh, in the South China Sea. And it, and it seems like you uh, agree with that interpretation uh, regarding Whitson Reef. I mean, you know, this is yet another fait accompli. Yeah, look, I don't think that the Chinese are going to build a facility at Whitson Reef. We don't see any evidence of that. Why would they? They already have more than enough facilities. What they want is to d dominate the water, and they do now dominate the water 
at Union Banks. But to be clear, they dominated the water at Union Banks before we all heard about it in the Philippine papers last month. Right. Uh, whether it was 50 boats or 200 boats is somewhat academic. Sure, sure. So, you know, going back to your comments on the Duterte administration's kind of change in tone, uh, I think that's a good segue into talking a little bit about what's been happening in Washington, right? So we've seen reactions from uh, Secretary of State Tony Blinken uh, and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, uh, you know, both the usual points that the U.S. stands with the Philippines and that the U.S. supports the rules-based international order in the South China Sea uh, and and in the Indo-Pacific more generally. But realistically, what what can Washington really do here, either for the Philippines uh, in terms of, I don't know, manifesting support physically in the South China Sea, although that does carry with it certain risks? Um, if you, you know, if you were sort of, if you had the ear, you know, let's say uh, Jake Sullivan's listening to this podcast, um, you know, what would what would your advice be? I think the U.S. needs to do um, two things at once. So it needs to join in this longer term strategy if that is what we're seeing from the Philippines of a kind of public documenting of bad behavior and then, and then naming and shaming, because the Philippines have pretty limited surveillance and maritime domain awareness capabilities. It would be very helpful if the U S took part in documenting, publicizing militia deployments, talking about exactly who these vessels are, what ports they operate from, maybe working with Australia, Japan, others in that effort so that the curtain gets pulled back more on the militia. And uh, China's bad behavior bears increasing diplomatic costs. As Beijing wants to be seen as a global leader, You know, th- there's a pretty big clash with this um, bullying behavior towards neighbors. That's the long-term strategy that, that I would hope over the long term can convince Beijing to seek some kind of compromise. The second thing, though, is the U.S. needs a short-term strategy of strengthening its deterrent posture in Southeast Asia, and that mostly means working with the Philippines to make sure that if there is a either purposeful or accidental clash that escalates, the U.S. is actually in a position to follow through on all of these claims we're hearing about the Rock Solid Alliance. We've heard it from Tony Blinken a couple times now. We've heard it from Jake Sullivan. We've heard it from the, the embassy of the Philippines. It doesn't change the fact that there are no U.S. forces, you know, closer than two days steaming from Whitson Reef. So we're making a pretty big promise here that I'm not sure we can actually follow through on. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, it is notable that, you know, Tony Blinken, uh, and at least his tweet, uh, did call out the PRC's maritime militia specifically. So it's it's good to see the U.S. using that terminology to talk about these vessels instead of, you know, talking about them like they're fishing vessels, obviously. Um, you know, just to, I think I think one of the last times I had you on this podcast, you know, we were talking about the state of the U.S.-Philippines alliance more broadly, and, and that's certainly been a roller coaster ride under, under Duterte, uh, particularly with regard to the possible abrogation of the VFA and so forth. Um, you know, based on what's happening at Whitson Reef and your sort of assessment of the changing tone coming out of Manila, um, do you think this has implications for the kinds of activities uh, that the United States might be able to undertake with the Philippines in the short term, um, particularly, you know, with regard to uh, the implementation of the uh, 2014 um, EDCA agreement and um, a rotational basing? Is that is that something that bodes positively in your view or or, you know, should we expect more of the same, so to speak? I think it has to strengthen the hand of those within the Philippine government arguing for implementing EDCA, um, which, uh, again, would give the U.S. access to a handful of Philippine military bases, including Puerto Princesa in in Palawan, which would be most useful for these instances in the Spratleys, and um, 
saving the BFA. So the business enforcement agreement is still um, subject to abrogation later this year if they can't come up with a, a final agreement to put that to bed. The U.S. and Philippine governments um, are still in the middle of meeting on this issue. They held a, a high level, what they call the bilateral strategic dialogue, intercessional in early March, I mean, certainly February, uh, which hasn't come to a final conclusion. But all of, you know, as much as we can kind of read the tea leaves based on, on growing frustration in Manila with China, and I think all the positive statements we're hearing out of the U.S., I do feel cautiously optimistic that we might see some progress on that front pretty soon. And uh, with it, hopefully, a move toward greater U.S. rotational presence and support for the Armed Forces of the Philippines modernization program to improve power projection over uh, the Spratlys. Right. Terrific, Greg. Well, I think we'll leave it there for today. Uh, thanks. I really appreciate you coming on and helping uh, our listeners contextualize and understand what's been happening at Whitson Reef. I know there's been a lot of interest around, uh, around this. So again, uh, thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me again. My pleasure, Greg. Hope to have you on soon. Thanks. For listeners, if you like the show, but you haven't yet subscribed, please do so so you can catch up with Future Up. And finally, if you've been a listener for a while, but you haven't yet left us a review, please do so. It really helps get the word out about the show and we really do appreciate it. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back very soon with more on the Asia Geopolitics podcast.